Hey everyone, my name is Randall Heyer and I'm the worship arts pastor here at Cochrane Alliance Church. We are so glad that you've come to check out the latest sermon and we pray that you are encouraged, challenged, and ultimately that you are drawn closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we can come uh, into a space like this to worship you and to praise you and to make much of your name. And I ask that as we study your word to us, as we study the scripture, that your Holy Spirit would be informing us, shaping our minds and our hearts and our souls and even our bodies to worship you with all that we are and all that we have. And I ask that as we sit in this place, that we would have a sense of your blessing upon us, that we would know that we are united together in your spirit, that we fellowship together in unity. And I ask that we would have a sense of your uh, presence. We know you're with us. And I ask that in this place, there would be a tangible sense of entering into your presence today. And I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to uh, start this morning by reading a quote from Rick Warren. He writes, you were put on earth to make a contribution. You weren't created to just consume resources, to eat, to breathe, to take up space. God designed you to make a difference with your life. Many best-selling books offer advice on how to get the most out of life, but that's not the reason God made you. You were created to add to life on earth, not just take from it. Now, for a long time, I personally wrestled with this idea that I was called to make any significant contribution to the world I inhabited because I felt insignificant, and I felt as though there couldn't possibly be anything that I was actually created to do. However, Scripture informs me differently. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 tells me this. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Here's the key. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I love this verse. We often stop right kind of just at the salvation part, kind of verse 8 and 9, and and we forget about verse 10, but verse 10 is so informative. Now, we can make it, this verse makes it very clear that we're not saved by our good works, but we are saved to do the good things that God has planned for us to do. And before we go too much further, I do want to mention that sometimes when we talk of serving God, because that's what we're going to talk about today, doing the things that God had planned for us to do, sometimes when we talk about that, people sometimes think we serve God out of obligation, sometimes they feel guilty, but what I want to tell you is that when you start participating with God in the work he is already doing, that he's uniquely called and gifted and equipped you to do, it leads you to a deeper relationship with him. It leads you to a greater love for him and a reliance and dependence upon the Holy Spirit and his leading. And you get the opportunity to see things happen that you never imagined could happen. Now, it can be difficult at times to do the work that God has called us to do. But even in the difficulty of it, what we do is we walk closer to Jesus through it all. And so we're not serving God out of guilt or obligation, but we're serving because we get to work with him. Like, what an what a amazing thing to think that we could get to partner with what God is doing. That God has created us to work with him in certain areas in ways that we're gifted and talented at. So verse 10 in Ephesians is telling us that there's more to our salvation than simply getting saved and then kind of waiting around until we die so we can go to heaven. 
There's a plan behind our salvation. We're created anew so that we can do the good things that God had planned for us to do. We're, let me put it like this. I believe that when we're saved, we are now in this world to heal others as we've been healed. We're here to bless others as we've been blessed. We're saved to serve and not just sit around waiting for heaven. And every Christian is called to service. There's no such thing as a non-serving Christian. Now, sometimes it takes a little bit of time for a believer to find the place where they're called to serve. And sometimes life circumstances prevent a person from serving for a period of time or maybe where they were serving now changes because of maybe there's an illness or maybe there's just a change in the family. I know as soon as we started having kids, we, we just didn't have as much capacity to serve in different ways. But we were with our family, and that's what God had now called us into. Now we're called to raise our family, raise our children, and that takes priority number one. And, and so there's a shifting in this, but the point being, we are called to serve. Now, some of the things that we're called to do are kind of general to every believer, Right? This is things that every single Christian is called to do. We're called to love one another, to love our neighbor, to love our enemy. We're called to be hospitable. We're called to have an answer ready, to share the good news to anyone who asks. We're all called to feed the poor, to help the widow and the orphan, and to stand on the side of justice against injustice. Those are things that every Christian everywhere is called to do. And when we do those things, we are doing things that we are created anew to do. However, the amazing thing about this life and, and the way God has created us and made us to be is that each one of us is unique. We all have different gifts and talents and skills, both the natural abilities that we're born with, but also the abilities that are given to us by the Holy Spirit, the different gifts of the Holy Spirit. And God has given us a great variety of gifts. The Apostle Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So Paul's saying, give all of yourself to God. Every gift, every ability, every talent, both the natural things you're born with and the spiritual gifts that he has given, give it all. And then he goes on, he says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, then give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. And that's not an exhaustive list, but he's saying there are so many different things that you've been gifted in in the body. Make sure you use those gifts. Don't let them sit dormant. Don't let them sit idle. Make sure you use what you've been given so that the body of Christ is built up. So in the past few weeks, we've been talking about loving God, right? We talked about loving him with all of our heart. We talked about cultivating our heart's affection for God. And then we talked about loving God with all of our souls. And we talked about how we need to receive the love of the Father and rely on the love of the Father and rest in his love. And then when all of that is happening, then we'll be ready and willing to serve in our Father's kingdom. Not out of obligation, but out of an overflow of love. And when we begin to serve God out of his abundance that he's given to us, that's what it means to love God with all of our strength. We're putting everything we've got into it. Not Again, not because we're like, boy, I gotta do it or God's gonna crack the whip over me, but because we go, he has loved me so much. 
and I see what he has uniquely gifted me to do, and I see the role of the Holy Spirit in me, and I need to, I see exactly where God is calling me to, to serve my church or to serve my community, to serve him ultimately in all ways. So let's go, you know, obviously today is, today is love the Lord your God with all your strength. What does it mean to love with all our strength? When Jesus is talking about this, there's a few different places where, where the Shema is being quoted. And it's quoted differently in different places. Uh, Pastor Mike has a, he put together an Excel sheet. He loves those Excel sheets. He's put together an Excel sheet of like where, because the phrasing is slightly different. But all of them are being affirmed by Jesus. But when Jesus is going to speak or affirm that we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, he would have been probably saying that in the Hebrew because he's quoting from Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. And the word strength in the Hebrew, and that's also found in the Deuteronomy 6 passage, love the Lord your God with all your strength is how we translate it. The Hebrew word is ma'od. Ma'od, that's it. Which is, that word just means very or much. Right? It might say like, Abraham had ma'od wealth. He had much wealth. So if we were to literally translate this, the translation would be love God with all of your very. Or love God with all of your muchness. So that's sort of an odd expression grammatically, but one rabbi puts it like this. He says, you are, what it means is that you are to love God with all of your oomph. Which I love that. I'm like, okay, love God with all of your oomph. It means heartily, zealously, with everything you've gotten, with your whole being. I think the Bible Project captures this well. You can go research this, but I'll kind of summarize their, their idea of it. They explain that loving God with all of our very, right, interpreted to, to say love God with all of our strength, has been interpreted in a different few ways. You can say it's to love God with all of your money or all of your strength or all of your mind. or You know, there's different variations on this. They go, well, which one is the right way to understand strength? And they would say, we should see Mayod as saying that everything in a person's life, Every moment, every opportunity, every ability and capacity is a chance to love and honor the one who made you, to love God with all of your muchness. So what I take from this, it means that everywhere I go, I am aware that everything I do and everything I say has opportunity and possibility to serve the God whom I love. Whether I'm going into the grocery store or going into the movie theater or, you know, talking to a neighbor, every moment and every opportunity has a chance for me uh, to demonstrate my love for God. So what does that actually look like? And I do believe one of the best ways that we can demonstrate loving God with all of our strength is when we love and serve others well. And I get this because we follow the example of Christ who said this, that even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the church, of course, is the body of Christ, and we're the bride of Christ. So if Christ did not come to be served, but to serve, then the church is here to serve and not be served. So one of the obvious places to love God with all our strength is really in our local body of believers that we've chosen as our spiritual family by serving one another and loving one another. Now, the obstacle to serving others and to loving others and even to loving God with all of our strength is entitlement. So Jesus models servanthood and he models humility and so the attitude of entitlement shouldn't have a place within the church. Servanthood should dominate the lives of church members. Putting others first should be our priority. Entitlement is the opposite of service. 
Entitlement is the belief that you inherently deserve something or that you are owed something simply because it is you. And it generally manifests as an attitude that rejects serving others but demands service from others. And if anything is going to prevent us from loving God with all of our strength, it's an attitude of entitlement. We can have that towards God and we can have that towards others, this attitude of entitlement. And the problem is we do actually live in a world that kind of celebrates entitlement, right? We see advertisements telling us that we deserve a luxury vacation or a, a better watch or we de- deserve to have things our way or we deserve to have things instantly whenever we desire them. And so I think we're all kind of naturally inclined to feel this sense of entitlement. And I see it with our children, right? So we're, we're trying to teach our children that just because they want something does not mean they're entitled to have it. I have been in stores with my children when they see something they want and they say, I want that. And I say, no, I'm not buying you that. And they say, but I want it. Well, that doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter if you want it. You're not going to get it. But they already have this idea that simply because they want it, they should have it. That's really the definition of entitlement. Well, because I want it, I should have it. And then we're also trying to teach them that a family of five can only run effectively if we help one another in the, in the household, uh, if we love one another and serve one another. So the largest fights in our family is when someone won't help clean up a mess because they say, well, it's not my mess. Have you ever had your kids say, it was not my mess, I didn't do that. I get that all the time. Those are our biggest fights and we have to respond, well, it's all of our house and we all want to live in a clean house and if we don't help each other, we can't maintain this place. We have to help one another. Uh, Because we love one another. And so we have to teach our kids what it means to serve and what it means to love others and really to break out of this entitled mindset. And a a sense of entitlement creates an inward, self-focused, self-centered person. And when the attitude of entitlement exists in the believer's life, then God is reduced to this being who sort of just helps me get what I believe I'm entitled to get. And this weird kind of spiritual entitlement leads us to believe that somehow God owes us something. That he's in some way obligated to give us what we want. We get this idea that we have the right to have material abundance or comfort or zero problems or a beautiful house or all these other things that the entitlement culture tells us we deserve. I mean, that's kind of that prosperity gospel or kind of the watered down version of it is like, well, if you do all these good things, then all these good things will happen to you. If you just do this, do this, do this, you're a good boy, you're a good girl, you do the right things, then God will have to do these things for you. Uh, That's such a destructive mindset, and I actually see that play out in different ways. You see it sometimes in young people, like, well, my marriage should be fantastic because I did all the right things. And they're kind of disappointed with God when that's not really the case. But they kind of were sold this lie that if you just do this, do this, do this, do this, then God will do this, do this, do this. It's very transactional. But that's not the way life is. So regarding God and and the sense of entitlement, I can just put it really bluntly, um, God owes us nothing. And God's not obligated to give us anything. He's God. He gives because he wants to, not because he has to. He's the center of all things and we're not. The problem with entitlement is when we're entitled, we think we deserve something just because it's us as we tend to put ourselves at the center of the universe. But we're not the center of the universe. Now the good news is that even though God owes us nothing, Out of his great love, he will give us what we need and even things we desire because he is a good father. It's from unconditional love by grace that he gives. So I'm not saying that God doesn't give you things or that God doesn't give you your heart's desires because he does. He's a good father. Good fathers give their children good gifts. But I do think we need to break that idea that God somehow owes us it. 
He does it because he loves us. That's what good fathers do, but we're not entitled to it. And the problem with entitlement is that it creates this attitude that puts a selfish demand on God's generosity. And then if we, if we take it from there and we put it into the, the context of our church body, if there's people with entitled attitudes, it creates conditions in the church that are unhealthy and even deadly to the health of the church body as people start to demand the church serve them and cater to them. And, and you know, they have all these things that, well, you should do this for me and you should do this for me and you should do this for me. And they're kind of like... And are you serving in return? Or like what's, you know, there's this kind of this demand thing that goes on. And so if we believe that God owes us something, then our thankfulness is now based on God's performance to meet those expectations we have of him. And if God doesn't meet our expectation of what we think we deserve, we can get angry or hurt or bitter towards God. But often those expectations of what we deserve are rooted in a sense of entitlement. And the Apostle Paul doesn't describe the Christian life as a faith where you demand your own way, but as a faith where you give out of what God has given you. And when each person gives to the other, and as every person puts others' needs ahead of their own, everyone's needs are met. That's the Philippians 2 passage. Put others' needs ahead of your own needs. And if I do that for you and you do that for me, then everyone's needs are met without anyone demanding their way. We all receive as we all give. God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well, and we're to use those gifts in the church body, and then also broader in our community to to share the good news message. But I think Jesus has a parable that speaks to this this whole sense of entitlement and this, uh, this whole sense of how do we use what we've been given. So here's the parable. It says, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of gold to one, two bags of gold to another, one bag of gold to the last. Dividing it in proportion to their abilities, he then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of gold invested the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of gold went to work and earned two more. The servant who received one bag of gold dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So we're just going to pause in the parable here to talk for a moment about the master and the servant given one bag of gold. Let's put it like this first. The master actually seems like a really good master. He gives generously. He empowers his servants. He's not controlling them or demanding they do this or that. He gives them this gift of money and says, figure out what to do with it. That's a good boss. He's not micromanaging. He says, I trust you. I'm going to give you of my resources so that you can make this even better. Our text says that he gives bags of gold, and most translations will say he gives talents. It's hard to estimate exactly how much was given, But a good estimate is that a talent was worth about 20 years of a day laborer's wage. So to give someone five talents is giving them like five million dollars. The second servant got two million and the third one million. And so from this very first part of the parable, we can grasp several truths. The treasure is God's. The master gives it. We all have strengths, abilities, spiritual gifts, time, and money. And we're dependent upon God for all of them. He's the giver of the gifts. And as you can see from the parable, the treasure, these gifts, they're not given evenly. It fall flows out of God's abundance, but it's not distributed evenly. It's that Jesus kind of is making it clear. He's entrusted some people with more than others, and that reality fits our experience. We're all given according to our ability and our need. And the more that we use those resources for the purposes God had for them, the more he entrusts us with more. He says, ah, you're well done, good and faithful servant. Have more. I'll entrust you with more. 
But the point being, we all have some amount of these basic resources, time, money, and ability, and it's to be invested or used so that it can multiply for the master. Now, the servant who's given one talent, he decides he's not going to do anything with it. He's going to bury it in the ground, which makes absolutely no sense. And you wonder, okay, so why is he doing this? I think what we're going to see is that this servant has a distorted view of his master. And I wonder, now this is speculative, but I wonder if this servant who had the one bag, the one talent, had a sense of entitlement in his heart. I wonder if he believed that he did not get what he was entitled to get. You can see that thought process, right? Well, Jacob got five. How come I got one? And it starts to twist his view of the master. He's a harsh master. He's a stingy master. He's a cruel master. He didn't give me what I deserve. But the truth is that one talent or one bag of gold is still very generous. It's important to remember that this servant who was given one bag, he didn't need to be given anything. This is a gift from the master to the servants. So this, this man who was given one, well, he really, he didn't have to be given anything. The master didn't have to entrust him with anything at all. He could have given him nothing, and the master would have been well within his rights to do so. So even one bag is still an incredibly generous uh, opportunity for this servant. So let's go back into the parable. It says, After a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come, share your master's happiness. The man with the two bags of gold receives the exact same words from the master, the same reward, the same commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant, you knew where I harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not got scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. So when I returned, I would have received it back at least with interest. Let's just look at the master again. Look how the master is with the other two servants. He celebrates with them. He is pleased with them. He rewards them by giving them more responsibility. He cheers them on. He's looking for them to take what he has given them and put it to work. And so the point being, God, the master, rejoices when we're faithful. He's a God of abundance, and he gives treasure out of his abundance. He rejoices when we're faithful with what he's given, and the yield of it is actually not as important as the faithfulness. I feel like the man with the five bags could have said, Master, I tried to invest your five bags. I did my best research. I did my best homework, but I actually lost it all. And I think the master still would have said, Well done, good and faithful servant, because you, you attempted to make much of what I'd given you. The yield is not as important as the faithfulness. Success is not as important as faithfulness. I had a friend who felt like he was called into church planting. And I believe God called him into church planting. And the dicey thing with church planting is that sometimes it just doesn't work. And he went where God called him to go. And he was there for a few years and it didn't take off. He, but he did some really good stuff in that time. He made, he made relationships with people. People came to faith, but, you know, the church didn't go off the ground. And, and I think the lesson that, that all of us kind of learned from that was that God is still pleased with this. Like, from human perspective, we would say it wasn't a success. The church didn't get off the ground. It didn't do what, it was, what we thought it was going to do. But he was obedient to God, and, and that is actually success. Faithfulness, faithfulness is its own success. 
So let's move on here. The, ser- the servants gain several things through their faithfulness. The, the two who were obedient, right? They, they gain the praise of the master. They gain more opportunity to serve. But they also participate in the joy of the master, Right? The master is joyful about this, and they participate in that joy, and that's how it is with us when we serve. Whenever we love God with our strength, we participate in what God is doing, and when he does something great through us out of what he's given us, we rejoice that we get to be a part of it. Yet the servant with the one bag has a really different view of his master, a view that we actually don't see. The servant with the one bag says that he thinks his master is an unfair man and a harsh man. And I'm not convinced that this servant's perspective is accurate. Where did he get this idea? Because the master, as we've seen, gives good gifts. He rewards you when you do well. But this servant claims that he was afraid. He somehow saw the master as a harsh man who feeds off the labor of others and exploits them. But we actually just don't see the master that way until this lazy servant says it of him. And when the master responds to this accusation of the servant, so you know that I harvest where I have not sown, he's not really agreeing with the servant. What he's saying, in effect, is, so that's your understanding of my character. All right, then, if that's really what you think of me, if you believe this of me, then you ought to have known you couldn't have pleased me by failing to get some kind of gain. In that case, you could have put the money in the bank, and at least it would have had interest on it. But I don't think that this lazy servant's perspective is, is really accurate of the master. What we've seen is the master gives good gifts. He judges fairly and gives good rewards and celebrates with his servants. The perspective that the master is a harsh man does not seem justified. But if this servant believed he deserved more, if he had an entitled attitude and assumed that he wasn't given as much as he was deserving to get, then yes, that would twist his viewpoint. He would come to see the master as harsh and stingy. And so the servant's heart is the problem. The master is not the problem. The servant's distorted view of his master prevents him from doing anything with what he's given. He doesn't even do the bare minimum and put it in the bank. He just walks away from the opportunity. And I do believe it's because his perspective is warped. He sees the master in a light that isn't true. But when we view God as someone who owes us something, rather than a father who gives good gifts according to our need and ability, we can react like this servant. We start to view God as mean and harsh and stingy. We stop caring about the kingdom of God. God expects us to be faithful with what he's given us. And faithfulness, not success in in kind of the worldly way, but faithfulness leads to greater gifts. Peter writes, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping? Then help others. Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. And as I go through scripture, I see that we serve God primarily by serving others. We each need to assess what the treasure is that the Lord has given to us and consider how we can invest our strengths in his kingdom. Each one of us has been given some amount of time, ability, and finances. Now these things change over time and we might be constantly assessing what's in our bag of gold. What have we been given? What are, what are the resources God has given us? What are the gifts? What are the abilities? You know, I'll give you an example that I kind of touched on earlier. Like, once you have small children, you, you usually don't have much time. On the other hand, if you're kind of newly retired and, and uh, your health is still good, well, you, you probably have a lot more time on your hands. But in both cases, you're now responsible for how you invest that part of your treasure. It's a different type of treasure. Right? You, one has the, the treasure of a family to raise up in the Lord, and the other has the treasure of time that they can put to, to good use. 
And the same could be said for finances. What is God doing in you now? What situation has he put you in? You're responsible to love God with what he's given you. Working for the kingdom of heaven, which we're citizens of, means using what we have been given to share the good news of Jesus, to encourage one another and serve one another, and that's a joyful thing. It's a wonderful privilege. Think about this. The master gives his servants these gifts, this bag of gold, and he says, do something with it. Do you see the parallel here of Jesus saying, it's better for you that I go because if I go, I'll give you the Holy Spirit, and then he's going to come back someday. And he's given us the responsibility to take everything that we've been given, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the natural abilities, and to sow those things in the world around us so that the kingdom grows and expands. And when he comes back, he'll rejoice with us, saying, wow, look at what you've accomplished We've got to kind of get our mindset there that we are created anew to do the good works that God has called us to do. If we can't see that we are called to participate in the work of of the kingdom in this world, then we're going to miss that opportunity. And we're going to chase after all sorts of things that don't really matter, that don't matter in eternity. Remember what Jesus said? He said, don't store up treasures for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And I think when in our culture, and I see it in my own life, that I can get so focused on building a life here for myself that I forget there's an eternal life to come. And I can get so busy doing my thing that it's basically like I've taken what God has given me and put it in a hole in the ground. Because I'm focused doing this and doing that, making my life here more comfortable. And Jesus goes, hey, there's going to come a time when I come back. And I want to see what you've done with the gifts I've given to you. So that's kind of a sobering thing for me. And I just want to remind you that there's a wonderful privilege with being entrusted to continue the mission of Jesus on this earth by putting right what is wrong, both spiritually and physically. So I'll just remind you of the scripture we opened with. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us from long ago. And when we do what we are created to do, it brings us lasting satisfaction and eternal reward. And honestly, although it can sometimes be difficult to serve in some places, it's usually pretty fun It's really fun to serve out of the abundance that God has given us. It's fun to work for a good master who gives good gifts, who rewards and rejoices with his servants. I'm going to close the sermon here and I'll I'll call the worship team up, but my closing thought is this. All of life is a gift from God. To love God with all our strength is to use all our life to serve him and glorify him. But if this is the only sermon in the series you've heard, you might get the wrong idea. You might think the only way to love God is by serving him. And I just want to clear that up before we end the sermon. Last week's sermon was all about simply being with God and receiving his love for us. If you haven't listened to the sermon, Love God with All Your Soul, that's a foundational sermon for the, for, to me, I think, for the entire Christian life. So go back and listen to it. But I, I do want to say this. Everything we do for God comes from being with God. If our hearts, our minds, our souls are out of alignment with God, we're going to serve him for all the wrong reasons. And there's a lot of damage that occurs when people are pressed into serving before they've been built on a foundation of God's love for them. They'll get frustrated, defeated, burnt out, prideful, self-righteous, hypocritical if they're not first receiving the love of the Father, focusing on the love of the Father, and resting in the love of the Father. So before you go do things for God, I'd ask that you spend time with God so that your service will be empowered by God. I know the worship team is up here, but I want to tell you a little quick story. When I was washing windows in Calgary, uh, we were at this lady's house, and she was, she was on edge. She was tense, and she was, like, watching our every move. And, uh, and 
we moved a couch away from the wall and her couch had rubbed a, hole, uh, rubbed a mark in the wall and then she came at us attacking us saying, you wrecked my wall and I want this done for free. And we're like, we didn't wreck your wall, it was your couch. Uh, and then, so we keep on moving and then we notice that Shine FM is playing in the background. Like Christian worship music is playing. And this lady is the like, most intense person I've ever dealt with. And so um, at the end of, of our job, and she was honest about all sorts of things, about towels on the floor, about this and about that. Like she was really uptight. And um, at the end, my, my foreman at the time said, uh, hey, I just noticed you listen to Shine FM. Are you, uh, are you a believer? And she's like, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, cool. We're all, we're all pastoral ministry students here. And then she was like really embarrassed about the way she had treated us. And she said, the reason I'm so stressed is because I'm supposed to be leading the children's ministry in my church and, and I just don't know what I'm doing and I, I feel really overwhelmed and it's kind of causing me to be really anxious and irritated. And the point is this, that if, if what you're doing is causing you to harm others because you're so overwhelmed and anxious and, and agitated by it, then don't. Like, just back away from that. Go to your pastor and say, listen, I, I'm not in a place where I can do this and just spend time with the Father. That's the point I'm trying to get at is I don't want to say serve, serve, serve. I want to say this, receive the love of the Father, then go out in the abundance of love and serve out of that capacity. So your identity is not found in what you do for God, but in what God has done for you. You are his child. You are the one whom Jesus loves. Serve out of that identity. And so I'll just leave you with this challenge. What has God given you that you can use to love and serve him and love and serve others? And you've been created anew in Jesus to do good works. What are those works? If you don't know, maybe this is the week you spend time with the Holy Spirit and say, okay, what is it? What am I called to do? And see what comes. I'll leave you with that. Let's worship together.